2020. Here we go. Man, a new decade. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess that's exciting. It sounds so futuristic to me. I mean, uh, man, just to think about 2020, a whole new decade. But uh, I, I was thinking this morning during the first service um, that uh, when I went on my first church staff position was in January of 1980, and here we are in January of 2020, so that's 40 years of, of ministry. I don't know if it's 40 years of experience or just one year I live over and over again for 40 years, so that's kind of the way, kind of the way it is. But man, I remember, remember those days, uh, that's for sure. But it's so good to see you. I, I can tell you one thing that uh, I do not like. Uh, I do not like drifting. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, for somebody that's been on uh, church staff for 40 years and been a believer since they were a kid, uh, I've learned. Now, I, 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 I know as an eight-year-old boy, when I gave my life to Christ, I knew I was separated from God. I knew that there was sin in my life. I mean, you didn't have to convince me. Uh, uh, not that I'd had a lot of experience as an eight-year-old, but I knew it. But uh, then it took a little bit longer for me as I grew in my faith and this kind of thing. But one thing I have discovered in all my years of being a follower of Jesus, I do not like drifting, and it just happens all the time. Here's what I mean by drifting. You know, the, the, you, you're solid, you're walking with the Lord, you're worshiping, you know, your good community, reading the Word, good things are happening. And then all of a sudden, it's you don't even see it coming. You don't even recognize it. And the next thing you know is you have drifted off into an area of complacency and your faith just has lost its life and, and these kind of things. And it just happens. It happens to all of us. It, it still happens to me. And, and you just get frustrated because you don't... You don't see it coming, and it's not like you made a decision one day, oh, okay, Lord, I'm going to kind of step away from you. It's a slow fade. It's a drifting that comes. And, and one thing I discovered is this, it, and, and it, it's like a realization one day is that you uh, all of a sudden have this epiphany that, oh, man, I have drifted in my faith. And, and one, of the, one of the things that happens is you get by that person who is walking with the Lord in a close way, and you're, you've kind of drifted, and all of a sudden you're thinking that they're kind of odd because they're, they're following the Lord closely, and you've drifted off, and all of a sudden, I mean, you don't even want to hang around with them because you know your life is not reflected. I, I don't know. I know all of you in this room that are followers of Christ. I know some of you are still on the journey to coming to Christ, but let me tell you, it, it is a, something I don't like is the, the drift. You just kind of... It's like when you're fishing out there and you're in the boat and you're and you're going at it and you're going at it and going at it. You don't set your anchor, and the next thing you know, you look up and you're you're on on down the way. Or you know that thing where you get out in the lake uh, in the air mattress and you shut your eyes for a few minutes, and the next thing you know, you're way on down the way. That happens spiritually, and uh, I know we can start talking about the reasons that we drift. I mean, if there's unconfessed sin in your life, you know, those addictive patterns and these kind of things, repeat sins that you aren't willing to, to deal with or you can't deal with, man, that comes adrift. Or unforgiveness, you know, you, you're not willing to forgive someone, man, the drift can happen. Uh, or uh, some wounds, 
woundings from your past, you know, that you, you struggle with. The, the drifting can come and, and uh, uh, the past can haunt you. And failure, fear, those kind of things, those are automatic. But let, let's be honest. Let's be honest in that most of our drift comes from L-I-F-E, just life. The responsibilities of life, the busyness of life, the, the things that grab our distractive minds and take us away. The next thing you know is that in our walk with Christ, we have just drifted from freshness. And what happens is, is we're going through routines, right? And uh, there's a difference between rhythm of life and a rut of life. And sometimes we just get into ruts and we need a fresh start. And, and going into the new decade and into the new year, man, I just felt like, Lord, we need to, we need to address some of these issues. Cause we're, I, I would say that you're like me. You drift sometimes and you're, and it's a slow fade and you're thinking, God, I know your mercies are renewed every morning. Your forgiveness is real. Your presence, your Holy Spirit is real. But Lord, sometimes I just, just drift. And for me, when that happens in my life, I have to go back and find my anchors of life, you know? And uh, one of those anchors, I want you to look this verse up. It's in Colossians. Uh, if you're new to the Scriptures, Colossians is a letter that, that Paul wrote. Uh, you get into uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you ever get into there. Just a quick way to remember that. General Electric Power Company. You ever done that one? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm full of them uh, that help me uh, <clears throat> remember that. But in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, this is, this is a life verse for me about ministry. Uh, kind of a life verse for me is Galatians 2.20. But a life verse for ministry is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. When I need to come back to an anchor of, Lord, this is what I'm to do with you, and, and we're to do together, I come to this passage. So let me read it to you. He, Jesus, is referring to Jesus, is the one we proclaim. In other words, we don't proclaim a religion. We don't pro proclaim an organization. We proclaim a person, and that's Jesus. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing or warning and teaching uh, everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. The word for that is agonize. I, I agonize over this. It's, it's something uh, like an athlete reaching for the finish line. I, I strenuously contend with all the energy, the supernatural energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He is the one we proclaim. I have to go back to that when there's a tendency to drift and I lose sight of where I need to be. I need to pull back to that anchor, Lord. And, and one of the scary things about what Paul uh, puts in here, he said that we may present everyone complete, fully mature in Christ Jesus. That, that, that makes me wonder, is there a, a burden of responsibility that I carry as a pastor, that we carry as a pastor, that one day God will hold us responsible for everyone that's come under our uh, shepherding, our care at some point. It would, it would lead that way. So that's an extra burden of responsibility. But it brings me back 
to my center when the drift comes that I am to proclaim Jesus. This is what I'm called to do. I'm to labor intensely in doing this. And this is where I need to come back to. So we're going to look at some of these anchors over this month a little bit. And today we're going to talk about the scriptures. And uh, because it is an anchor that pulls us out of that drift. But I've discovered that when it comes to the scriptures, everybody that's a follower of Jesus uh, knows that the Bible is our, our guide and our standard and these kind of things. And there's not a Christian that doesn't feel the way of, I need to read the Bible. In fact, sometimes we're guilty. Somebody makes a decision for Christ. They make a commitment of their life to Christ. We give them a Bible, and that's about it. And we say, here, you need to read this. Well, they start, like most books, you start in page one, and you're going to start reading, and about numbers, that you're thinking, man, I don't know what's going on here, and you put it away, and you're thinking, I, I will sleep on it, I will, I will keep it on my shelf, it makes me look holy, I'll keep it in my car, whatever, but we, we just drift away from it, and I think the problem is, <clears throat> so often, we've talked about the how-tos and you shoulds instead of the why. And if we can grab the why, then it's gonna, it's gonna give us a hunger to get into the Word of God. Uh, Paul instructed Timothy, a young pastor. So if you want to turn over a few pages, you can go to 2 Timothy. Turn over a few pages from Colossians. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, <clears throat> that uh, Paul is instructing Timothy on his growth. And this is what he says to him, 2 Timothy three fourteen. But as for you, Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is just reminding Timothy, listen, from the time you were little, you've been taught the scriptures. Hang on to that because that is what is going to mature you in your faith. And all of you know that. I mean, we talk about that all the time. You need to read the word of God. You need to get into it daily. You need to do these kind of things. And, and yeah, and so a lot of times it's just ob, uh, uh, obligation to do it. You feel uh, obligation to do that. And so as I was praying through that, I thought, you know, so much of when we approach the Bible, we're looking for information, right? We, we, we read it to get information. Information to the, uh, 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 to the point to where we can, we can win trivial pursuit at the, at the amount of Bible knowledge that we get. And so we read it for information. And I don't mind you reading it for information, but that's not the primary reason that you read the Scriptures. Second of all, we read it for inspiration, right? We get inspired by the, the stories we read of those that overcome and the champions and, and, and the life of Jesus, and we get inspired by that. And, and that's okay, too, but that's not the primary reason to read the Scriptures. And, and then we read it for motivation. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, we, we, I have a plan for you, declares the Lord. And we read these for motivation. We put them on 
on, on T-shirts and we put them out there so that they give us motivation. But that's not the primary reason to read the Bible. So it's it's not just to read for information, and that's good. We want information, but that's not the primary reason to. And it's not inspiration. It's not it's not even motivation. I want you to know that the Bible was given to us, the Scriptures were given to us as a revelation of who God is. And so you need to know that what you have here is not just uh, paper and ink and leather or or your device or however you read the Scriptures. It's put together over 1,400 years by men and women that God chose to, uh, to put together these 66 books that we call the Scriptures. And so it's a revelation. But what does it reveal? And that's what I want to share with you, three things that the Scriptures reveal. And if it reveals from God, man, that gives me a motivation and an inspiration and information that I want to get into the Word of God. So first of all, it is this. The Scriptures reveal absolute truth. The Scriptures reveal absolute truth. We live in a day where relative truth is what reigns. In other words, what is relative to you and what you find truthful and you find truthful and you find truthful, that's good enough. You believe in that, I believe in this. In other words, we live in such an unstable time that nobody wants to buy into the fact that there's an absolute truth that exists. And there is one. It's the Word of God. God has set forth an absolute truth for us, and it is what the Scriptures have. For instance, life is precious. God tells us that life is special. All mankind is is special. In fact, it's such a way that all there's no accidents. All births began in the heart and mind of God, and then He put them into a womb from the beginning, and all life is precious. That's what the Scriptures teach us, absolute truth, that it it is all precious. Marriage is to be pure. Why is that? It's because of its protection, absolute truth. The, The relationship between a man and a woman and intimacy is to be for marriage. Well, Mark, don't you think you're being closed minded No, I have a God who loves me and wants to protect me. And so there's an absolute truth that is right there. Uh, we look at marriage itself. All marriage is, is, is a contract. No, according to God, absolute truth, marriage is a covenant of a man and a woman in the presence of God. And I read the scriptures too, and, and we live in a day where so much instability is there. I read the scriptures, it tells me God created them male and female. And we live in a day of such instability on relative truth on what a gender is. God has laid that out. It is male and female. But Mark, there's a struggle that people are having. Let me throw one more out to you. Always lead to heaven. That's a relative truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. An absolute truth is there. We read the scripture and there's an absolute truth. But... Mark, people are people would say they believe in the Bible and they still struggle. I tell you where our culture struggles. We struggle in our feelings. We have feelings. 
If it feels a particular way, I feel like this, then it must be truth. I want you to know absolute truth will sometimes attack your feelings. And so we have these feelings. And, and here's the number two. We are broken. Why, why is it that people struggle with lifestyle choices and they feel so natural to them? It's because we're broken. That doesn't take it away from absolute truth, though. And so we have a standard that God has put forth here. I'm not getting amens out of this, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's the truth. God has set an absolute truth. But Mark, are you saying this to make me feel guilty? No, 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 no. I am saying this as it's truth. But number two, I say it because we have a God who's not wanting to be a killjoy. He loves you so much he wants to protect you. And that's what God is doing. We have turned God into a killjoy. And we as Christians are bigots, the world says. No, it's because we love and we want to protect. And so, number one, the Scriptures reveal absolute truth. Number two, the Scriptures reveal the character of God. The Scriptures reveal the character of God. And and you're not going to trust a God that you do not know about. And so all of Scripture is the story of God. And it's revealing His character to us. He is love. He is righteousness. He is holiness. He is forgiveness. He is the Creator. He's all-powerful. He's full of mercy and grace. He's holy and pure. He is ultimate judge. We have a tendency sometimes to read the Scriptures from a, a, a slanted viewpoint. Uh, we, we, we read creation and we see the characters as Adam and Eve. And was it seven days? Was it six days? And then a rest. Were they 24-hour days? We're, and we get into the, all these debates. That's not what creation, is. The, the account, is all about. It's about God. That God created everything. That there is not another God. It tells us His character that He is the Creator. We look at people like uh, like Joseph in the Scriptures. Okay, now, I'm not talking about Jesus' dad. I'm talking about Joseph in the in the uh, Old Testament. Joseph is he has these dreams. His brothers selling to slave traders. He's put in a horrendous situation. And uh, it's, it's terrible for him, but God raises him up. And we think, oh, Joseph's the hero. No, 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 no. God is the hero. God has a plan for his people. And he needs to get somebody down to Egypt so that eventually they're going to get down there and another guy's going to show up, kind of Moses. Oh, Moses is the hero because he gets them out of slavery and there's the plagues and the Passover and the, the Red Sea and all this kind of stuff. No. Moses is not the hero. God is the hero because he has a plan that's eventually going to get those people up into Israel where we're going to see them in the promised land. Eventually a Messiah is going to come, a savior for the world. God is the hero. We look at Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den. Oh man, Daniel's the hero. No, God is the hero. God is magnificent. He can shut the mouth of lions. And he has a plan to use somebody like Daniel so that his people in captivity will come back, uh, come back home. 
So we see all of these, and what I'm telling to you is there's no, uh, there's no reason and wrong in seeing somebody as a hero. And I don't want to miss, I don't want to mess up the story of David and Goliath for you. Because when we read David and Goliath, David's the hero, right? That's the way we see it, is that this young shepherd boy who, who comes up, he goes out there and faces the giant, and he kills the giant. David is the hero, right? No! God is the hero. Because I tell you what he's doing. He is, he is sharing with us in the story of David and Goliath, which is a young boy, taking down a giant. It's totally impossible. God did that. But what God was showing a picture of is that one day all of mankind is facing a Goliath that they cannot defeat, which is sin and death. And what he is saying is, I'm going to send a champion like David who is going to defeat that, and you're going to have all, all that you need for me. You see, it's about God. There may be people that he uses in the midst of that, but when we read the scriptures, it's all about the character of God. And this ought to change the way you read the Bible. So often we're reading it to say, okay, where do I fit into this? Maybe we need to start looking at, you know, God is awesome here. I don't understand it all, but God is awesome. And one day... He's going to bring all of history, absolute truth, to a culmination. So it is revealing the character of God. One more. The Scriptures reveal wisdom, guidance, and purpose. Wisdom, guidance, and purpose. Many of you have probably heard the acronym B-I-B-L-E, Basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's uh, kind of the way to look at the scriptures. That they are living and breathing is what Paul told Timothy is that it's God breathed and all of scripture is, uh, is God breathed and it's got life to it and, and these kind of things. Um, and, and sometimes people will say, well, Mark, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I've, I've read it. And, uh, you know, I just, I mean, I've read it. I've read that book before. I don't need to read it again. i tell you what I've discovered. I was challenged as a, as a teenage boy about reading the Scriptures through. And I'll, I'll share more about that in just a second. And uh, I started a pattern in my life of reading the Scriptures all the way through. And uh, every year... You, you can read it about 20 minutes a day. You can read the Bible, a little bit old, a little bit of new. You go all the way through the Bible. So I've done that for, for years, for decades. Uh, that's been part of my pattern. And, and, uh, and so that's what I do. And so people would say, well, why do you, man, duh, but you read it every year. Don't you think you got it by now? Here's the deal. The Word of God does not change, but I change. When I was 20, I was going through a lot of things that the Scriptures addressed that when I was 40 weren't the same. And now that I'm 60, it's even different. But it's living and breathing. And when I read it from the eyes of where I am right now, I see the stability of God and what He is saying to me at the moment. So do not think that you can exhaust the Bible. You get into it and see what God has to say. But I can tell you literally... Today, because I can speak for my story, I would not be standing in front of you at all 
if it wasn't for God using his word to speak directly to me. Well, Mark, that sounds kind of mystical. I know. It's God's word. But when I was, when I was a teenager, back in the 70s, that was 1970s, um, I was challenged about reading the scriptures all the way through. Back uh, when I was in high school, there was a, a book, book came out called The Way. It's the, the scriptures in, in uh, uh, living, living Bible translation. $5.95 in, uh, in 1970-something. And so I started reading it. And uh, during the midst of that year as well, I was 16 years old. I was starting to get interested in spiritual things. I had a youth pastor that challenged me. Uh, I loved sports. I thought sports would always be my life, either playing it or coaching it and that kind of thing. And uh, But yet he challenged me in some things spiritually, and I felt like I could translate some of that uh, athletic stuff into, into my faith, and it, it turned out to be a great thing. Went on a mission trip. God started moving on my life, and, and uh, so I'm starting to figure out, God, what do you have for me? And I started sensing in my spirit that God um, uh, may want to use me in ministry. And uh, nobody had, had uh, really coached me in that area. I just, I'd been taught that the Word of God is, is living and active. And so I went and I said, God, you know, I need to hear from you directly from your Word. And, and uh, so I was reading it systematically through. In other words, I wasn't picking and pecking, you know. I, I was finding God, this is where I am. I was wrapping up Isaiah, and I, I was struggling over this. And I came to Jeremiah. I'd never read Jeremiah in my life. I, I didn't know much about him uh, as a teenager. And so my excuses were, God, I sent you in my life, but I am so young. I, I'm just a youth, Lord. Uh, there's no way you can call me to the ministry as, as a 16-year-old boy. And so I'm reading in uh, Jeremiah, and uh, this is what it said. Jeremiah chapter 1, late at night in my room as a kid, the Lord said to me, I knew you before you were formed within your mother's womb. Before you were born, I sanctified you and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. Oh, Lord God, I said, I can't do that. I'm far too young. I'm only a youth. Don't say that, he replied, for you will go wherever I send you. And speak whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I, the Lord, will be with you and see you through. I want you to know it was like God just came into my room, and he said, there it is. I got the calling for you. From that day on, has there been days of doubt, struggle? Yeah, good night. Don't you go through them? But it was that calling. Pam and I have had words about moving. We've had words about things we needed to do in life. And it's because we've been systematically in the Word of God and seeing what He has to say. Um, Real strategic, right quick, okay? This is real practical. And and this is part of the message under guidance and wisdom and, and purpose. Reading the Word of God. Okay, I'm going to be real simple for you. I think if you know the why, that it's a revelation from God, the how and what you do is secondary. But you, number one is you've got to have a plan. 
If you don't plan, you plan to fail, basically. Fail to plan, plan to fail. I mean, you've got to have a plan. And, and what we do is we try to help you with a plan the best we can. And let me tell you, the plan needs to be systematic. And here's what I mean by systematic. You don't want to wake up in the morning and say, oh, God, what do you have for me today? Boom. That's dangerous. Can God use it? Yeah, God's God, but that's dangerous, very dangerous. You want to have a systematic plan where you're going through the Word of God. Uh, out here in our four-year, you can pick up one in paper if you want to, but we've made it even easier for you that if you go on centralrr.com on our webpage, the first thing you're going to be greeted with uh, today when you go on there is reading plans. And what it does is it allows you just to tap on there, and we have reading through the Scripture in a year. Mine, when I have my Bible, what I have is I have my reading plan. I use paper and I use uh, a Bible. It just works best for me. If you want to read on a device, I don't care. My, uh, I found that my pen kept scratching the, the pad. Um, but you, you need to find, I have a little Old Testament, a little New Testament every day. Uh, some of you have uh, other plans. What I'm saying is get a systematic plan. And part of that plan, what I do with part of my plan is uh, I, I use uh, journals. Uh, I, uh, there's nothing special about my journal. Sometimes I will use the soap acrostic, you know, uh, scripture, uh, observation, application, prayer. I've gone over that with you before. But I, I will uh, write in here, and I've got uh, decades worth of journals, and, and Pam knows when I die, turn them into a book, and uh, they're going to be great. But uh, in the meantime, I will just continue to write. But but it, and it doesn't have to be a fancy journal. I mean, it can be just paper and pencil. Uh, you know, I, I also mark in the in the scriptures. Um, I try to start with a clean one every year, so I, I'm I'm marking, not remarking, and not just reading the marked places. But but get a plan, okay? And and we try to help you with a plan. I jokingly said uh, Friday. I, I said, you know, we've. We've put the plans out there. We've got them out here. We've got them on our webpage. We've got them every, everywhere else. Maybe one year I just need to say, hey, I'm going to read it for you, you know, because uh, we've made it as simple as we possibly can. So we want you to find a plan. And second of all is prayer. Now, I'm going to talk about prayer more next week. And, and I don't, I'm not talking to you about prayer uh, as far as making a wish list to God. What set me free in prayer, I always felt inadequate in prayer. Uh, I still feel inadequate in prayer. I, I, I read and, and look at the scriptures and I feel inadequate. But when the Lord showed me that prayer is communication between me and the Father, all of a sudden I realized that if this is his word, then what I, when I am reading it and we are having this time together, this is part of my prayer life. Because prayer is not just me making a wish list to God. Prayer is us communing. And when I'm in his word, I'm communing with God. So, I, because it's a relationship, right? And so, I, I have a plan. I work, I work my plan. I, uh, I have, and here's the other thing. I, some of you are going to miss days. Because, you know, some people would probably think, well, Mark, you get, you get paid. You get paid to stay in the Bible. 
Listen, there's a difference between my daily readings and, and sermon prep, but still, I, I, I do get paid to be a Christian. Uh, you're good, you're good for nothing. I get paid for, for being good. Uh, but you, you, you get into the Word of God on a daily basis. And there's going to be certain days that you think, oh, I missed it. Well, just pick it up the next day. Don't, don't, don't beat yourself up. Okay? Uh, I want it to become a habit in your life. So you have a plan, and then there's prayer. And the number three thought is this. Be patient. Be patient. Listen. Um, I love my wife to death, and she has made some fantastic meals in 40 years of marriage. Some of them have been better than others. Some of them I don't remember. Some of them were just incredible. But you can tell whether I remembered them or didn't remember them, I've benefited from the nourishment of those meals. What I'm saying is there's going to be some days that it's steak, man, or it's an ice cream sundae. And then some days you're going to read and it's livers and onions and broccoli, and you're going to think, whoa, but you need that. You need those times of roughage, okay? You know what I'm talking about. So I just want, I, I, I want you to, to get a plan and I want you to pray, and I want you to be patient. I end with this thought. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. So that we do not drift away. The word drift here means, like we say, drifting like a boat, drifting. But there's another definition in the Greek for this drifting, and it's, this, it's the picture of a ring that has slipped off a finger and been lost. And I thought about that definition. You know, as long as I have that ring on my finger, everybody knows that I am married and taken and I have a love of my life. Maybe our drifting makes it look like we're not wearing a ring for the groom that's coming to get his bride. And we need to get the anchor of putting that ring on securely. And part of that is reading his word. Thank you.